Jesus, you are Lord of all, Lord over everything, over death, over hell, over the grave. You have conquered it all, taken the wrath of your Father upon yourself. And now, those who we've seen baptized this morning, who have died the death with you and been raised to life with you, that's what we've seen pictured here this morning. The death and resurrection to new life, forever life with you, Jesus, because you are risen and seated on the throne at the right hand of your Father because you were obedient unto death. And because of that, your Father has highly exalted you. And it's at the name of Jesus that we bow this morning and we proclaim that you are Lord over everything. Be the Lord of our lives. Jesus, thank you. Now continue your work. Continue your work in us by your Holy Spirit who dwells within each believer, convicting us of sin, comforting us, encouraging us, spurring us on, giving us the strength to obey your word, God. Help us now as we hear your word, as we hear it proclaimed through your servant, Rick. Help him to do so boldly, without fear, with wisdom and clarity. And help us to be doers of what we hear, not hearers only. Give us ears to hear, but give us hands to do what your word says. So we thank you, Jesus. And it's in your powerful name that all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship. I am so glad that you are here for this special, special morning, a morning where we really do focus on life and how amazing God is to each one of us. I am so glad you're here. For those who are newer, we're in the middle of a series called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was preaching to a group of people. It's his longest recorded sermon. He's speaking to a group who are discouraged, abused, burdened that life under, well, the king, the Romans. Wow, it's been hard. But Jesus began to proclaim that life under the right king, the good king, him, is radically different. 
He began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And he said, God blesses those who are poor, who, who depend upon God, who realize their need for God. God blesses those who mourn when they recognize they've sinned that it is an abomination against God, and it separates you. And, and he goes on, and God blesses those who are meek or humble. God blesses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. God blesses those who are merciful. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. Uh, they see God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. Well, well he got through talking like that, and he got everybody's attention. But then he jumped and he redefined six basic kingdom truths. He basically started off by saying, you understand the law this way. It's what you've been taught. The Pharisees have drilled this in your head. But actually, there's a more robust understanding of these principles when you live underneath the good, good king. Jesus is basically saying that life under the king's reign looks and feels different than what you've been living. If you've been with us, you have found that his sermon is both disturbing and inspirational. In the last few weeks, he would say this, murder's bad. But in my kingdom, anger does the same thing. Adultery is bad, but lust is the same. And divorce is bad, but it's because marriage is permanent. This morning, Jesus addresses our words and actions we must speak truthfully instead of falsely and act graciously instead of vengefully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a chance to worship and to praise you. We are overwhelmed by your grace and thank you. We do thank you for those courageous folks who have chosen to follow you and listen to you and proclaim their testimony publicly. We pray, Father, as we hear your word today, that we would do the same. That as your spirit prompts us and as your spirit pricks our heart, that we would respond wholeheartedly and come underneath your reign and your rule do life your way. Father, we do pray for various churches in our area. We think of New Hope. And we pray, Father, for Northbridge. And we think of Orchard. God, we are so grateful for those churches. And know there are a plethora of other churches around. And we pray that you would use your word and the praise of your people. Lord, we thank you for all those servants who are downstairs, who are teaching our children, who are guiding and directing them, helping them see you more clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word mightily 
And along with all the other studies and all the other ministries that go on, we pray, dear God, that you would be honored and your word would be taught well. We pray now, Lord, as we open up your book, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn your Bibles or your screens to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, it will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible, but Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 33. This is Jesus' words. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. We read this and we wonder, heaven, earth, Jerusalem, who, who makes vows like that? But the scribes had created a series, these religious Pharisees of loopholes that distinguished between speech, not under oath, and under oath to the Lord. They taught, you can keep your word to the Lord. But if you make an oath under heaven or on earth or or whatever it is, well, then you have to listen and you have to be honest and you have to be truthful to the men and women you talk to. Jesus knew this was off kilter. He understood in the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. This is what the prophet said. But this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your courts that are just and that lead to peace. Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear are the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. For hundreds of years, the prophets were faithful. Stop lying. Jesus, though, in the first century, had experienced how the culture played fast and loose with the truth. How broken promises lined the streets. Jesus would have nothing to do with this logic or this elaborate system of oath-taking that was normal in that day. In fact, later on in chapter 23 of Matthew, what happens is that Jesus is addressing these Pharisees, and he's rather harsh with them, and he is letting them know that all their rules and regulations, well, go against what God's way actually is. And I love the way the message translates this, but it's Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 16. And this is Jesus talking to all these religious 
He says, you're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious? What ridiculous hair-splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise your hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if your promise is inside or outside the house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present, watching and holding you accountable regardless. Basically, again, you didn't have to tell the truth if you didn't say a vow. And Jesus looked at that and said, what is going on? He was saying that kingdom patriots, those who are living underneath the reign and the rule of God, those who are obedient, those who are listening to God with all of their hearts, they are to be characterized by such honesty and integrity that an oath of any sort is completely unnecessary to add credibility to your words. This continued to be a problem in the early church. James, in, in, in James chapter 5, verse 12, James writes this, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. You know, the scriptures is clear. Our sovereign God hears our words. Our sovereign God knows our motives and will judge us. That's the bottom line. We are accountable to God. In Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 36, I I tell you this, Jesus said, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word that you speak. In Ephesians 4, starting at verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes to the the church at Ephesus, and he says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, you know, the way you used to live before you met Jesus, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell the neighbors the truth. You see, what Jesus was trying to say is that kingdom patriots, God followers, disciples of Jesus, they stand out. They speak the truth without going through all kinds of different vows or or different promises. When they speak, they're honest. They are people of integrity. Someone who is known to be honest. And to be forthright here, 
That is so unusual in our land today, in our culture. You often hear, hey, I'm really telling the truth this time. So does that mean like every other time you don't tell the truth? And it's rather common that, hey, when you want to get someone's attention, you're letting them know, hey, uh, this one really is true. Well, truth-telling will reflect the character of God in the kingdom to which you belong. God's absolute, unchanging standard is truth. So realistically, those who walk with God, they don't need to take an oath. Their conversation should be, well, true in every detail. As the scripture says, our statement should be a simple yes or no. And anything other than that is evil. Now, there is no debate about the importance of honesty among those who follow King Jesus and are citizens of his kingdom. Jesus was saying, represent me well. Be a person who speaks the truth always, always. Then he goes on. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, he says, You have heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Jesus is saying that kingdom patriots treat others differently. You've heard the law that says punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. And he gives some examples that are a little foreign, but hopefully we can dig in here. It gives us four examples of what not resisting looks like. But before I go into those examples, I just want to share with you what this law is that says punishment must match the injury. It's called the law of retribution. And it's found in Leviticus chapter 24, starting at verse 17. But God gave these guidelines to govern Israel. These laws prevented judges and courts from exacting excessive punishments on people. The law of retribution was not intended to govern personal, everyday relationships between family members, friends, and neighbors. Jesus urged his listeners to respond to personal offenses with grace and mercy. In fact, I think what Jesus says is hard to swallow. 
I think there's a fine line here. Well, what does that mean? Do I just get walked over? Do I just get abused? Do I just, well, what, what's the deal? As I studied this text, the English pastor, John Stott, he, he said this, and it helped me put things in perspective. John Stott says this. John Stott puts Jesus' words into perspective. Christ's illustrations are not to be taken as a charter for any unscrupulous tyrant, ruffian, beggar, or thug. His purpose was to forbid revenge, not to encourage injustice, dishonesty, or vice. True love, caring for both the individual and the society, takes action to deter evil and to promote good. Let's look what Jesus actually said. In spite of the evil Roman government, where all these folks were living, Jesus is saying, be a person who represents me well and serves others sacrificially. That's all the way through. We are here on this planet to make a difference, to care for others and those who are kingdom patriots. As you serve others sacrificially, you will stick out. You do not, excuse me, you do that by not retaliating against evil with violent aggression. In other words, don't relate to others as enemies. Relate to them, if at all possible, as neighbors. Be loving, not hateful. Be kind, not harsh. Revenge of any kind is not an option. It's really interesting. The Apostle Paul spent the first 11 chapters in Romans sharing with God's people how wonderful God's grace is. And he went through chapter after chapter just uh, sharing his heart. And he said, When chapter 12 came along, he starts off and he says, in light of everything I've just shared with you, the first 11 chapters, with how amazing it is to be God's son and God's daughter, by faith, justified and sanctified, he said, this is how you should live. Uh, In other words, you recognize that walking with God changes your actions. In Romans chapter 12 starting at verse 14. Let me get there. This is what he says. In in light of your position, in light of who you are, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. You know, as I read this, put, put, let these words kind of ruminate because it's not how many people act but those that walk with God those that listen to God those who are led by the spirit are capable of bless those who persecute you don't curse them pray that God will bless them 
Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Look at verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. What a different perspective. Sometimes you hear this, and maybe even you have said this. I don't get mad, I get even. Now, I, I'm not sure how far you'll go with that or, or, you know, do you actually mean that? But I don't get mad. I get even as foreign to Jesus. Jesus had a correct perspective of his father who is sovereign, who understands that he is in control of everything and God knows when to act and how to act. It's so hard. Sometimes to trust God. Because sometimes we think we know better than God. Or maybe we could do things faster than God. An example that Jesus gave is turn the other cheek. So if someone insults you or slaps you, well, the first slap is insulting. It's demeaning. It's humiliating. I I don't know if you've ever been slapped, but it never, ever feels good. I would much rather get punched. I I would rather not have either of those. But realistically, the, the slap, the slap seems so humiliating. And Jesus is saying this, if anyone embarrasses you, be willing to endure further insult. Don't retaliate. Treat this differently than you feel like treating. Jesus, of course, not only talked about this, but modeled it beautifully especially during the last hours of his life. The king of kings being, well, set before some mock judges and being spat upon and beat and mutilated. And he did not retaliate. I'm not sure how that happened other than he trusted his God to take care of what was happening. 
He says you do this by letting grace rule. All right? Jesus moves from a violent, dishonorable attack to a legal attack. Look at verse 40 of Matthew 5. He says, if you are sued in a court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. In other words, if someone drags you into court and sues you and, well, the judge says you must give a shirt, well, basically what Jesus is saying, gift gift wrap your best coat and make a present and give it. You need my shirt? Okay, I'm going to give you my coat too. Do what the law requires, but even do more. You say, well, how do I know this? What do I go? When do I do these things? And again, as you walk with God, as you listen to the Spirit, He prompts you, and He teaches us and gives us strength to do things we normally would never, ever do. In fact, people look, they'll scratch their head and say, what is going on? This person is so different He's so much kinder, so much more gracious. Then Jesus said, you also do not retaliate against evil by willing to go the extra mile. Verse 41, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two miles. Now, now that's not very practical advice for any of us, all right? But let me again share with you, people during that time could be legally compelled to assist the Roman military. As they carried their gear, if you were walking along, they could look at you and say, hey dude, come on over here, carry my stuff. Well, for a Jew, it was extremely humiliating. And all Jesus was saying was, you know, When you are asked to do this, or demanded, or even demeaned, well, do it. But at the end of the mile, say, hey, you know what? I'll do it another mile. Nobody does that. And that's what happens to a person who walks with God, who lives underneath God's reign and rule. The rules are different. Things happen. Imagine living in a culture like this. And then lastly, he said, you do this by being ready to help those in need. Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. If there are needs, meet the needs. Be kind, be gracious. Have the opportunity to do this. Kingdom people help. In Galatians chapter 6, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Because if we're honest, doing what is good, serving others sacrificially, well, it gets tiring. We start feeling at times sorry for ourselves. But the Apostle Paul says this, hey, I I want you to know, as you walk with God, he gives you energy, so don't get tired of doing what is good. 
At just the right time, he will, excuse me, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, the apostle writes, we should do good to everyone, but especially those in the family of God. You know, if you've been with us for a while, um, we have talked about being on mission, uh, about living our lives purposely, of being intentional with how we interact with people, and we've used the acronym BELLS to remind us on what we can do to surprise our world, to make a difference. Well, B stands for bless, bless others for no reason. You care for others. You see someone who has a need. You see someone who perhaps is struggling. We bless them in the name of Jesus. You know, I love to partner with organizations like Samaritan's Purse. Now, there are many good organizations out there, but one example is our Operation Christmas Child. We're in November or late um, October. We have an opportunity of providing um, Christmas boxes for children all over the world. But we also have partnered with Samaritan's Purse when there's been tragedy in our country, outside our country. And sometimes folks will say, well, well, Rick, you keep taking special offerings or you keep offering this or, or thinking about... Well, the truth is, is that we as Christians have an opportunity to do good. And when we find folks or ministries that we can partner with so that we can make a difference all over, we do that. We try to do that. Sometimes you get to personally get involved. Sometimes we're able to fund things. And sometimes we pray for these different relief efforts or scenarios or situations. You know, it does remind me when Jesus talks like this of the Good Samaritan. In, in Luke chapter 10, it's such a familiar story. We're, we're not going to go through the story. But let me just point out a few highlights. There are a couple religious guys that walked, back, walked by a very beat-up, needy person. No one knows what their agenda was, and, and maybe there were some really important things they had to do. But Jesus tells a story of a Samaritan coming by. A Samaritan was not always loved by the Jewish people for many and various reasons, but this man had a heart. He, he saw this person lying there bleeding and hurting, and he stops. He, he puts olive oil you know, triple antibiotic cream today. 
on the wounds. Puts this person on a donkey. Carries this person to a place where he could receive care. Pays for the care. And then even says, I'm going to come back and check up. Who does that? Who treats people like that? Well, I don't know that person. What happens if he, you know, I I mean, is this a waste of money? Is this a waste of my time? Hey, do you know how inconvenient this is? Do you know how much blood is on my clothes now? I'm going to probably have to throw these things out. I'll never get this clean. How come I do that so well? Is that my response normally? But it's amazing that we have an opportunity to be able to help those in need. And Jesus was just talking. We we talk differently if we're a kingdom patriot. We act differently if we're a kingdom patriot. In fact, the way I would like to say it is that kingdom patriots flat out stick out. Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he's just trying to help them understand how amazing it is to listen to the king. That life changes around in spite of evil governments and evil people. Wow. What a message for us today. We can complain a lot about, well, everything, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter. We can complain. Or maybe God says, I've put you here on the planet right now, in this place. I want you to walk with me. I want you to be salt and light. I want you to treat people differently. I want you to talk differently. I want you to stick out because you're my representative. Kingdom patriots make a kingdom impact. And that's something each one of us have an opportunity to do. I'd like you to bow your heads, if you would, at this time. I'm going to pray in a moment. But I'd like you just to ask yourself some questions. I'd I'd like you to just let Jesus' words marinate. Maybe we have not been as honest or, or been truthful with different people. Maybe God's convicting you about your truth-telling. And maybe some of our actions need to change. Let's be quiet for a moment. Listen to some of Christ's examples and talk to him about what you need to change.
Father, the truth is, is that sometimes I wonder why you don't act quicker or faster. Why evil seems to be winning and, and being rampant. And how times I just want to alienate myself and go protect myself and go in a room by myself. But God, that's not your plan. You've told us that we're salt and light. We're on mission with you. And as we do life, you give us the power and the strength to talk differently and act differently. And my guess is, God, your plan is perfect. That you send us in right places and you have us and you give us right neighbors and we work with the right people and we have an opportunity to be able to make a kingdom impact. God, we thank you that life isn't just about us, although that's what we want to make it. Thank you for letting us make a difference in this world, in our world. And would you receive all honor and glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.